The Bible reading this morning starts at John chapter 2, reading from verse 23, and goes through to chapter 3, verse 15, and can be found on page 1064. Now, while he was in Jerusalem at the Passover festival, many people saw the signs he was performing and believed in his name. But Jesus would not entrust himself to to them, for he knew all people. He did not need any testimony about mankind, for he knew what was in each person. Now, there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, We know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the signs you are doing if God were not with him. Jesus replied, Very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. How can someone be born when they are old? Nicodemus asked. Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. Jesus answered, Very truly I tell you, No one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to the Spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. How can this be? Nicodemus asked. You are Israel's teacher, said Jesus, and do you not understand these things? Very truly, I tell you, we speak of what we know and we testify to what we have seen, but still you people do not accept our testimony. I have spoken to you of earthly things and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, and that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. Well, good morning. It's good to be here this morning. It is indeed a special day for me. It is my birthday, as I was reminded at about 5.30 this morning by my little kids. Dad, it's your birthday. Thanks so much for that for the reminder appreciate it so I've got my um, handwritten cards from the little kids I got my pair of socks and uh, I got some other great presents as well and uh, honestly it's it's a treat to be here today I couldn't think of anything better really to do on my birthday than to preach and teach about Jesus maybe a classic thing to hear from a minister but it's true and I think God's got some great stuff for us this morning some challenging things maybe but hopefully some encouragement as well so why don't we pray Heavenly Father, we we pray just that, that you would ready our hearts and minds to be challenged and to be encouraged. Lord, if we hear something that doesn't agree with us and rubs us up the wrong way, rather than rejecting it out of hand, we ask, Lord, that you'd help us humble ourselves, not under me, but under your word. May you speak clearly and boldly this morning. Amen. Well, I don't know about you, but I love interviews. Right? I love hearing people interviewed. I listen to a lot of pod- podcasts where people are interviewed and I've recently started listening to the Conversation Hour on ABC. I don't know if you've heard of that before, showing my age a bit. But um, I love it. I love hearing what makes people people, you know, how people 
come to decisions, what makes them tick, what makes them them. I really loved Andrew Denton's show, Enough Rope. Do you guys remember that? It was on a little while back. Um, I loved it. I, just, I was there all the time. I'd record it if I couldn't, couldn't make it. And I just love hearing about people's stories. Well, my wife and I, we were really into it. And so we booked tickets and we went on to a, a live taping of the show. Now, as a policy, they wouldn't tell you who was being interviewed beforehand. And the cool thing I loved about this, this um this show is unlike these flashy shows where celebrities come on for about five minutes and talk about their movies or TV shows or albums. They're there really just to promote those things, aren't they? This show was designed for a really long chat to get to know the person being interviewed. So we went along and, and we didn't know who was being interviewed this particular day. We're waiting in the line in the city to pick up our tickets. And then this kind of buzz came down the line. And we're like, oh, what's going on? So I knew someone ahead of us. I said, well, what's going on? He said, oh, mate, Russell Crowe's being interviewed tonight. There he is, the boof. And um, we thought, oh, that's big name. Superstar, fantastic. Often on the show, Denton would have two guests. But if it was a really big superstar, it'd just be one. So tonight, it was all Russell. So we were just excited and ready to kind of get into the studio audience and see how, you know, it went. Well, unfortunately, I feel bad saying this, but man, it was boring. It was just three hours. They condensed it to about an hour on TV. I watched it later, but it was three hours, the whole thing, of boring. Uh, now, I think Paul Russell was not in a good mood. He's famous for sometimes that happening. And maybe Denton got him off on the wrong foot, but I love his movies. I'm a big fan. He didn't really want to talk about them. He wanted to talk about um, his songwriting his music. He was trying to sell himself as sort of Australia's great poet. Nobody was buying it. And so it, it just wasn't that interesting. And unfortunately, um, at the end of the show as well, Denton had a twist. Now, it was about a year or two after the movie Gladiator had come out. Many of you would know where Russell plays a Roman general who then is enslaved as a gladiator, has to fight his way back. One of my favourite movies. Love that movie. It was about a year or two after, right? And so towards the end of the interview, Denton signals for about 10 extras to come on stage and they're all dressed as Roman centurions, right? And they sort of surround Russell Crowe and Denton and then they're wearing, you know, breastplates and helmets and then Denton puts one on as well, a, a helmet and a breastplate and he picks up a wooden sword and he throws a sword to Russell and he says, hey, show me some moves you learnt on the set of Gladiator. It was really lame, right? But what made it awfully lame was Russell did not want to have a bar of it. Here's a photo I found online. It's bad quality, but there he is, just with his hands in his pockets. He just did not want to do it. I think he was a bit embarrassed. He was caught off guard and it was just one of the most awkward things I've ever seen. Denton was backpedalling and it really was just terribly, terribly awkward. Poor old Russell. Well, What's any of that got to do with John's gospel? Good question. It's just a good story. Now, this, this section of John's gospel, right, it's kind of like a Denton interview. Over the next few chapters, we're going to meet four people, okay, and they're going to have these extended interactions with Jesus where we're going to learn a lot about Jesus these particular characters, and of course, ourselves as well. Now, the first one, subject for today's message, is Nicodemus. Nicodemus and Jesus have this sort of in-depth discussion. And just like the Denton interview with Russell Crowe, it has a twist, but thankfully, it's far from boring, or hopefully anyway. We'll see. Now, as you heard from the Bible reading, this passage talks about this thing called being born again. Now, what does that mean? born again. 
So that's it. We're going to ask two questions surrounding that today. We're going to be looking at what does it mean, right? What does it mean to be born again and how? How are we born again? So what does it mean and how are we born again? That's what we're going to be looking at this morning. So first, let's have a look at our interviewee for this morning, Nicodemus. Who is he? Well, verse 1 of chapter 3 tells us that he's a Pharisee. And if you've been in church for a little while, you probably know what that means. Simply it means he's a revered religious teacher in his day. But the passage gives us more information. It says that he's a member of the Jewish ruling council, which was the Sanhedrin, which means he was kind of a big deal. Okay, he was probably older, quite wealthy, and really just a senior religious teacher and leader who would have been very well respected. Now, what's a guy like this doing meeting with Jesus? If you've read some of the Gospels before, you might be aware that the Pharisees just get a shellacking from Jesus so often. They're so offended by Jesus, this radical Jesus. So what's a guy like him doing approaching Jesus? I think it's just great that people from all walks of life were attracted to him. Beggars and members of the elite classes. It's great, isn't it? Now... On what basis does he approach him? Okay, so he might be intrigued with him, but why does he come to meet with Jesus? Well, I reckon chapter 2 gives us a hint. Let's have a look together at verse 23 of chapter 2. Now, while he was in Jerusalem at the Passover festival, many people saw the signs he was performing and believed in his name. Now, I reckon we can safely assume that Nicodemus is one of these people mentioned in verse 23. He's witnessed for himself the miraculous signs Jesus has performed and he's intrigued. But more than that, he's actually put some amount of belief of faith in Jesus. Let's have a look at verse 24. But Jesus would not entrust himself to them for he knew all people. He did not need any testimony about mankind for he knew what was in each person. That's funny, isn't it? Why wouldn't Jesus entrust himself to them? Well, could it be that their belief, their faith in him wasn't necessarily complete? It wasn't necessarily genuine. Could they have really known the reason Jesus had come? And what about Nicodemus? Right? Well, where's he at? What about his faith? Is his belief genuine? Well, let's find out. Verse 2 of chapter 3. He came to Jesus at night and said, this is Nicodemus speaking, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher who's come from God, for no one could perform the signs you were doing if God were not with him. Okay, so he's curious, right? He's seeking out Jesus. And here's the thing I think that can be inferred is that we can do the same. Remember a few weeks ago when the disciples said, come and see, we're invited to do the same, to dip our toe in, to check out Jesus, to to investigate the Christian faith. And if that's you, it's, it's fantastic that you're here and we're so glad you're here this morning investigating one of the great questions of life. Who is Jesus? And Nicodemus is. So we're told he comes to Jesus at night, doesn't he? Now why? Is it because Jesus was just super busy during the day? Or maybe, probably not. It probably means that, remember who Nicodemus is, right? He's an upright member of society Maybe he doesn't want, sorry, got the gang outside. Maybe he doesn't want other people like himself finding out he's there checking out this radical. Or maybe, because notice he says in verse 2, Rabbi, 
we know, maybe there's a group of people who are like Nicodemus, who are curious on the Jewish ruling council. They've sent Nicodemus to do a bit of backroom politicking. Find out if this Jesus guy will play ball with us. Maybe. Or John, the author of this um, book of the Bible, this gospel, loves these metaphors, right? Maybe the darkness is representing Nicodemus' own spiritual reality. Maybe he is in the dark when it comes to spiritual things. Well, let's see. Let's find out. Now, he's quite respectful to Jesus, isn't he? He says, Rabbi. So from a rabbi like himself, that is very respectful. And he basically says, God's with you. Like he was with Moses. God's with you in some capacity, right? But notice there's no question. It's just a statement, right? He just sort of opens with his statement. There's no question there. But there is an implied one, which is, who are you then? You're a great teacher. You're performing miracles. God's with you. So who are you then? Which is what makes Jesus' reply so interesting. Let's have a look at it. Verse 3. Very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they're born again. Now, I don't know about you, but to me, that just seems out of left field. Are they having the same conversation? You're a great teacher. You must be born again. It's weird, right? I mean, why does Jesus reply like that? Could it be that he's revealing, he knows why Nicodemus has really come? I mean, remember back in chapter 2, we just looked at it. It says Jesus knew all people. He's revealing that now. He knows why he's come. He's got the ability to cut right to the heart to diagnose what's really going on with Nicodemus. It's kind of like when I come home from work, um, sit on the couch, and you know my daughter, she's four, Bella, she comes up to me, and she, she's smiling sweetly, and you know, she gives me a little cuddle, and she says, Daddy, in that voice, I know what she wants, right? She is buttering me up for something. Hey, with you guys with young kids, or even older kids, you might remember when they were young, that I can see right through it. Now, truth is, I'm powerless to do anything about it. I just... Whatever you want, sweetie. Not really, but kind of. Now, it works every time, but at least I know what she's doing. Right? She's buttering me up. And it's a scary thought, isn't it? Not that my daughter has me wrapped around a little finger, but that Jesus knows our hearts too, right? He knows how we approach him. He knows our attitudes. He knows what we're holding back, that secret sin. We're just unwilling to let go of that area of our lives we're thinking, Jesus, you can come here, but no, no further, thanks. Jesus sees through Nicodemus' flattering introduction, and he gets right to the point, to the real reason Nicodemus has come, which is, well, Jesus hints at it in verse 3, doesn't he? Because he says, the kingdom of God. Nicodemus is interested in the kingdom of God. Now, he's a, a religious man expecting an earthly kingdom to come about because of this Messiah. And he's wondering... Who's in and who's out? He's looking for confirmation that he's in, right? I mean, he's just not expecting Jesus' reply in verse 3. You're a great teacher. You must be born again. See, here's the thing, right? Nicodemus never considered his salvation to be in question. That's why he's just knocked off his feet. He doesn't get it. But surely I'm in, right? He's just simply looking for a pat on the back from Jesus. Nicodemus, you're doing great. Just keep doing what you've been doing. He doesn't get that. He gets the exact opposite. And here's the twist, right? Like the Denton interview with poor old Russell. Here's the twist, something totally unexpected. Nicodemus is thinking, I got this. I've been born into the right family. I went to the right school. 
I hang out in the right social circles. I do the right things, good things. And Jesus says, don't keep doing more of that. You're totally on the wrong path. And I think some of us might be a little bit like Nicodemus in this way too. See, our guest speaker a few weeks ago, Richard from the UK, he shared this really great illustration, and I think it's worth repeating. You know, some of us maybe subconsciously or consciously, I don't know, we think when we leave this earth, when we come, which every one of us will, when we come face to face with the living God, which every one of us will, we think we're going to have the opportunity to show him our resume, to show him how, how, how good we've been. You know, what about me? God, how you doing? Um... Here's my resume. Here's a cover letter from Bruce Clark, the senior minister of St. Matt's. Good guy. You might have heard of him. Top guy. I did some above average sermons there occasionally. I helped some people. You know, I gave my life to the work of the gospel. I was in a Christian band for a long time. I, here you go, God. I wrote some songs. You must know them. Surely they're the soundtrack to heaven, right? So, you, you know, here's some references from my friends. Here's a, here's a list of chores I do at home. Okay, I admit that that is a little short. It could be longer. But... Generally, God, not bad, hey? What do you think? I mean, it just doesn't work like that. I know it sounds silly, but I reckon some of us, we just, we fall into the habit of thinking, of, of putting our trust in what we do instead of what Christ has done. See, Jesus says to Nicodemus, as he says to us, it doesn't work like that. Get it out of your head. You think it's about what you do, and I'm telling you, you've got to be born again. Now here we've got that little phrase, these two words, born again. What do they mean? What image does it conjure up in your mind when you hear that? Is it the obvious one of what? Like Nicodemus? How can a man be born again? How can he enter his mother's womb for a second time? It's hilarious. You're supposed to laugh at that because it's ridiculous. And of course it is ridiculous if Jesus is talking about being born again in an earthly sense. But of course he's not, is he? talking about being spiritually reborn see the term it's always been there of course Jesus utters these words and it's a couple of thousand years old but this term born again it became popular again sort of around modern times with Billy Graham the Crusades when a real emphasis was put on converting to the Christian faith rather than it's something that you grow up in you know like a nominal faith and that's a good thing because as evangelicals we thoroughly believe in conversion but the sad thing is this term's got a bit of a negative connotation particularly in the US this term born again if you were to go home today and you wave to your neighbor you say hey what what they say what did you get up to today oh I went to church I'm a born again Christian they might look at you a little funny like you're a fanatic or a nut job, and, and you might well be. But the point is today to actually do a little bit of hard work and think, well, what did Jesus mean by that term? Not us, not what does our culture say about that, what do our friends say about that term, born again, but what does Jesus mean by it? And when Jesus says you must be born again, he means you've got to have new life. Not new life in an earthly sense, but new spiritual life. It's an illustration for the need of new spiritual life. And here's the really scandalous thing. I think some of us are going to be offended by this. It's not for some of us. It's for all of us. Now, we can again fall into the habit of thinking some people need to be born again. Take, for instance, the drug addict who's ruined their lives, right? Well, they need to be born again. They're a mess. Of course they do. It's obvious. 
or maybe the ex-convict, right, who's made some really big mistakes, gets out, seeking redemption. Yeah, they need to be born again. They need a new lease on life. Sure, them. Not me. This is just the fascinating thing about Jesus saying you've got to be born again to a guy like Nicodemus. He doesn't say it to the woman at the well. He doesn't really say it to many other people. But he says it to this guy. Let's think about him for a second. You could not have had a picture of a better person. Morally upright, very well respected, part of the right social circles, part of the elite institutional establishment. This is a good person. And what does Jesus say? He doesn't say, Nicodemus, you're doing great, you've done great, you've probably got 90% of the way, let me take you the rest of the way. No. Jesus says, you've got it all wrong. And here's the really scandalous thing. Every single thing that you've done up to this point, Nicodemus, counts for nothing. Nothing. Now, let me tell you, here's hopefully some encouragement. Let me tell you that if you are sitting there thinking, oh boy, you don't know what's in my heart. I mean, you don't know what I've done. I am so far behind these fine looking people in this room. Maybe you're thinking that. Well, the good news is that's got nothing to do with it. When we are talking about crossing from death to life, when we are talking about being saved, right, by, giving, by being given new spiritual life, anything that we do counts for zero. We all start in the same place. So be encouraged. We're all starting from zero. Here's what Jesus is saying, right? If you want to come to me, if you want to see the kingdom of God, like he says in verse 3, you've got to realize the situation you're in. Now, who needs to be born again? It's obvious. Someone who's not yet alive. Jesus is saying, you are so far away from me, so far away from God, that you are actually dead, spiritually dead. Not just a little bit banged up, but dead. Ephesians says that we were dead in our sins. Have you thought about that? That you were so lost in your sins that you were dead? And what's the thing about being dead? You can't be a little bit dead, can you? When you're dead, you're dead. And what can dead people do? What can they do for themselves, right? Nothing. I was speaking about a similar thing uh, with a bunch of youth and I, I posed the same question, talking about a similar kind of thing. What can dead people do? expecting nothing or silence and one kid goes make people sad yep fair enough I had to give it to him he's right but apart from that apart from making people sad what can dead people do for themselves nothing that's the point I mean think about somebody laid out what does that person need good advice no they need a defibrillator they don't need a lesson in tradition and manners they need a new heart they don't need a set of rules. They need a redeemer. They don't need a lecture. They need life. And who comes to bring that life? It's the God-man, Jesus Christ. He promises, I am the way. But he wants to make it very clear that you and I, we've got no part to play in this spiritual rebirth. He says it in verse 6, right? Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. To enter God's kingdom, God must give us new life. We can't do it ourselves. I mean, think about this. Try, trying to be good enough, 
to enter God's kingdom. It's like chaining yourself to a treadmill and trying to run to Tasmania, okay? It gives you something to do, but you don't get anywhere. You get all hot and sweaty. You might feel good for a while, but in the end, where are you? Same place. Now, don't get me wrong. Doing good is a wonderful thing. We're commanded to do good, to love our neighbor, but don't for one second think it takes us from death to life. You've got to be born again. Imagine for a second thinking agriculturally, right? Imagine for a second that you own an orchard, right? And it's all apple trees. And you think, I'm done with apples. I'm sick of them. Next year, I want oranges. And you think to yourself, I know what I'll do. I'll, I'll water them and I'll fertilize those trees to get oranges. And what happens the next year? You get bigger apples, right? And the next year, they, oh, okay, I know what I'll do. I'll prune the heck out of them. I'll prune them back and take care of them. And what happens the next year? bigger apples it's not about trying harder doing better working smarter running faster playing nicer if you want new fruit you got to get a new root it's not turning over a new leaf it's getting a whole new tree and Nicodemus he kind of gets slammed for not knowing about this doesn't he did you notice in the reading in verse 7 and verse 10 you're Israel's teacher and you don't know about this kind of seems a bit unfair I mean isn't this a new concept well, it's not. It's always been there. God has always been interested in inner renewal as opposed to outward actions. Jesus says it in verse 5, right? No one can enter the kingdom of God unless they're born of water and the Spirit. And what does Jesus mean there? Well, by water, Jesus is referring to the sort of symbolic washing away of sin. And I think our our practice of baptism really illustrates this beautifully when adult when an adult or a big person is is baptized right they go under the water which symbolizes death to the old life it's how profound it is we are a new creation the old is gone the new has come we go down and the water washes away it's a symbol of washing away our past life and our sin and when we come back up that symbolizes the new life we have in christ it's beautiful and it's always been the way God's always been interested in people's hearts as opposed to outward actions. As Israel's teacher, Nicodemus should have known this, that one day God was going to make a way where his people could be completely renewed and given new life. And guess who makes that happen? The God-man Jesus. Okay, so we've looked at what does it mean to be born again. Now let's look at the shorter point of how. And so what, right? Okay, so... That's what it means. Well, how do we get it then? How are we born again? Let's have a look at the end of our passage for today. Verse 14 and 15. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. Now, what on earth is he talking about with deserts and snakes and stuff like that, right? Well, Jesus is referring to a time in Old Testament history in the book of Numbers where God's people are wandering in the desert and some venomous snakes infiltrate their camp, bite a whole lot of them, and they are not doing well. They go down and they are struggling as the venom of the snake courses through their body. They are writhing around in agony and they cry out to Moses who is leading them at this time. God, uh, Moses acts as a mediator, cries out to God on their behalf, and God tells him to make a snake out of bronze, stick it on a pole, and raise it up in the camp. 
so that people who are on the ground dying, writhing around in agony, can look to the snake and live. Simply, God makes a way for his people to be saved. Now, it's a bit of a weird and obscure story, isn't it? I mean, why does Jesus mention this? Because the only way we can receive this new birth, this new life, is through Jesus, right? And the only way Jesus can provide this new life is through his death. That's what we're supposed to get from this. Now, let's just for a second have a think about this powerful illustration of new birth, all right? How does the baby get life? Not asking how a baby's made. You can ask Scott, Scott that later on. But how, how does the baby come into the world? It's not up to the baby to be given life, is it? Really, it's up to the mother. And, and how does it happen? Through labor, through pain, most of the time, if not all the time, right? Through blood, sweat, and tears, through pain. It ain't pretty. I've, I've witnessed three of them myself. I mean, just check out these photos. No, I wouldn't do that to you. So you can, you can relax, Pip. It's all right. But it's through pain. How is the baby given life? Through pain, blood, sweat, and tears. And in the same way, Jesus brings us new life, right? Jesus has got to be lifted up. He must endure his own agonizing death on the cross. He must be lifted up, blood, sweat, and tears, so that we can be given life. But this is real and lasting life. So how are we born again? By looking at, by trusting in, by putting our faith in Jesus Christ and not ourselves. Jesus, I trust in you to be saved from sin, to be given new life. And here's the thing. I don't care who you are, all right? Christian or not a Christian, isn't this what we all want? I mean, isn't this what we desire? Life? Real life, lasting life. Don't all of us desire for relationships to last? Aren't we all horrifically saddened when life just ends? We think it's not meant to be this way. And you're right, it's not. Don't we want love to last? Don't we want life to last? Well, Jesus comes and he says, I've come to do something about that. I've come to give you life and life to the full. Jesus says, I'm able to give that life to you, but in order to receive it, you've got to let go of everything else you are holding on to. And boy, do we hold on to a lot. I'm putting my trust in this and this and this. Jesus is saying, empty your silly hands so you are able to receive this gift that I freely give you. Now, as we finish up, whatever happened to our mate Nicodemus? Do you know? Because we hear about him again. At the end of John's gospel, what happens to him? Well, we find him at the foot of the cross. After Jesus' death, Nicodemus with another man, Joseph, take the body down, prepare it with a bunch of preparation spices and things and and wrap the body why would he do that back then that was woman's work a distinguished man like this what is he doing john is very careful the author of this book to point out that he has had a life-changing encounter with the god man jesus christ and he is profoundly changed he is now a follower of jesus 
even someone like him, even an older man who you think he wouldn't need to change, even like him, he can learn new tricks, right? Even someone like him. And what about us? What about you? We are surely supposed to infer from this passage that this can be our story too. Have you experienced this new life? If not, now is the time. I mean, if you take away anything from today, it's surely you've got to take away that someone like me, I cannot argue anybody into the kingdom of God. Of course not. Why? Because it's of God and not us. But I've got to ask, is the spirit stirring in you today? If you haven't received this new life, if you haven't been born again, if you haven't experienced this new spiritual birth, I'm asking, is the spirit working in you this morning? If so, do something about it. Do business with God. During the last song, Scotty and myself and Kelsey and Suzanne, we're going to be down here. We'd love to pray for you. You don't have to see us. You can do it on your own, but I reckon you've got to tell someone. Share the exciting news. Do business with God. Or what about the rest of us? You know, maybe you've been a Christian for a long time like myself. Maybe this morning you've been reminded to stop. Here's a word that's been cutting me all, all week and last night when I couldn't sleep. Stop striving. Stop putting your hope and your trust in everything else except me, Jesus says. I want to finish on this great quote from C.S. Lewis, which really highlights the need and the beautiful reality of transformation. Imagine yourself as a living house. God comes in to rebuild that house. That's you. At first, perhaps, you can understand what he's doing. He's getting the drains right and stopping the leaks in the roof and so on. You knew that those jobs needed doing, and so you're not surprised. But now he starts knocking the house about in in a way that hurts abominably and does not seem to make any sense. What on earth is he up to? The explanation is that he's building quite a different house from the one you thought of. Throwing out a new wing here, putting on an extra floor there, running up towers, making courtyards. You thought you were being made into a decent little cottage, but he is building a palace. He intends to come and live in it himself. Friends, we don't need a little renovation. We need to be completely knocked down and rebuilt by God's grace. We don't need good advice. We need new life. And it's found in Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we we just collectively as your children, we come before you now. And we submit ourselves to the authority of your word. And and look, maybe there's some of us here this morning who have not experienced this new life. Lord, if that's the case, would your spirit keep stirring them to want to talk to someone, to want to pray, most importantly, to do business with, with you, to transfer from death to life, from spiritual death to spiritual life and Lord for the rest of us here this morning who are already Christians maybe there's some of us who are very dry I ask Lord that you would ignite a fire within us to set fire to all the things we think are going to impress you and others burn them away 
And would you just fan into flame a wonderful love for the gospel, which means we are sinners saved by grace. May we live out of that identity, do good works from that place, love our neighbor from that place. It's in Jesus' name we pray together. Amen.